Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 68 to... How do we say this, Alex? (laughs) (laughs) Soekarno Hatta International Airport. Very good. I have no idea. I'm going to take your word for it that that's correct. (laughs) Don't take it. I have no idea. That's the international airport in Jakarta, Indonesia, which I was at now a week ago. We are recording today on Thursday, March 8th. I cannot wait for you to tell this story. (laughs) You've been also doing a few travels. I think you've been to Dubai, if I remember correctly. That's right. Very brief. I'm not traveling too much because of our recent family arrival, but... Yes, I, I nipped to Dubai with Emirates, and that was great. Yeah, we'll talk about really. that as well. The plan was to record much earlier, but we've been snowed in. in the yes. <laughs> I mean, today, there's no more snow. Uh, it's fine. I think the snow now, the big situation is on the East Coast. I think Boston is about to cancel every single flight yeah, they possibly the, have. Yeah, they're not having fun over there. <laughs> but yeah, you, we've been uh, having quite issues. Actually, your kids were they didn't have any school, which is why we actually couldn't record. Yeah, four days they were off. It was bad down here in southern England and I know that a lot of the other rest of the country is feeling it now but it was it was bad it was actually bad all over Europe yeah. uh, Geneva closed Amsterdam closed for a while yeah, um, yeah. there were other disruptions I think in Poland as well Sweden for, for once it's not like just mocking the UK although of course you know it was a grand exaggeration here in London because here in London the snow was not I mean there was nothing compared to what you guys had or even worse what the north of England and Scotland had, which was like massive. I mean, the whole yeah. thing was closed. But uh, Heathrow kind of held up pretty well for once, so we're not, yeah. not going to complain, right? Yeah, which again, I mean, doesn't really answer any of the questions that we've had about Heathrow's ability to deal with snow, because there was a lot of snow, and they did okay. But what was it? I don't know, three or four months ago, there was a little bit of snow, and the whole thing just shut down. So, <laughs> so my plan was to do Charlotte, the airport for this episode, before I actually went to Jakarta. But now that this memory is fresh, I want to do Jakarta. Yeah. Why? And I'll talk about, because probably Charlotte was going to be the next episode. Because I realized, just after we finished recording uh, Philadelphia in which episode I said I've never been to Philadelphia, that <clears throat> I actually had been to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually remember now uh, stuff that I should have said during the episode of Philadelphia. So, Paul, next time, uh, I'll make sure to check, actually, your past flight history before actually recording an episode. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually with, uh, with U.S. Airways. So we're talking about an, a different era almost, right? Uh, and I, I, I went through Charlotte before going to Philadelphia. So I'll mention that in the next episode so today uh jakarta it's going to be a lot about indonesia obviously in this episode i'm going to babble a bit i'm already apologize to our listeners that uh especially those who you keep telling i think what who was it i think it was our friend sunil uh at glucode who said that even though he's been listening to all the episodes, sometimes when he takes a flight, and he flies a lot, way more than we do, I think, actually, he's re-listening to past episodes. 
<laughs> wow. Even I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I really listen to ourselves because I'm like, gosh, I wish I could have said that differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Jakarta, I hinted at it. I wanted to try Garuda and I was able, that's the beauty of being a consultant and having flexible clients to find something that both quenched my thirst for trying Garuda and also making sense because the flight had been paid by a client. I actually didn't go to Jakarta. I went there for almost a day, but my main destination was Seoul. So yes, it doesn't make actually a lot of sense to go to Seoul by using <laughs> Garuda uh, routing via Jakarta because that's uh, the longest flight you can have from London is actually to Indonesia. If I'm not mistaken, that's uh, 7,200 miles, more than that, almost wow. 7,300 miles. That's 13 hours and 30 minutes on the way there and the way back. We did uh, 14 hours and 20 minutes, I think. So it's, it's a really long flight. Yeah, it is. It's the longest flight I've ever done in terms of miles, but it's not the longest flight I've ever done in terms of uh, time spent. That's in interesting, flight. isn't it? That yeah. they're not, they don't always sync up. I think the longest flight I've ever done time-wise was Asiana was two years ago, I think. That was... That was the longest. I think it was 16 hours or something. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm going to talk about Garuda. I'm going to talk about my flight. And at the end, of course, of the show, I'm going to talk a bit about the airport as well. We've had actually some news about the airport. It was not always glowing. I think, remember, we said that, was it the, the runway that was sinking or something? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was a few issues. Or was that Bangkok? Or was it both? Oh, I can't remember now. Maybe you're there's right. A, there's a few airports in Asia that have had subsidence problems with terminals or runways or otherwise very important airport infrastructure. <laughs> Operationally dependent, I believe the euphemism is. <laughs> so let's start with... Garuda itself. Uh, we mentioned Garuda a few times in the show. We're talking about a year or two years ago now. And I actually remember, I don't know if it was recorded, if I left it on the cutting floor, or if it was just you and me chatting outside of recording a show. When I had mentioned Garuda, you had came back to me by saying, oh, my father would not fly them uh, because they had a yeah. very, really bad reputation, right? Yeah, as I mean, as did, Indian, did slash does Indonesian aviation in general. But yeah, that was that was definitely uh, a philosophy of his in the 80s and 90s. Because that was the worst time. So Gar Garuda was born, it's not one of the oldest airlines, was born just after the Second World War in 1947. It was actually called KLM at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. KLM Interinsular Bedrif. Uh, guys, my Dutch friends, I'm sorry, I have no idea how you say that. You, you'll correct us in the next episode. Uh, so KLM, because uh, you know it was the the Dutch East Indies. You know that's the uh, yep. they were colonized. Uh, I learned something, by the way. I didn't realize that. You know, I was there and was like. They drive on the same side that we drive in the UK. And I was like, but this is not an English colony. And I actually learned that in the Netherlands, they used to drive also on this side. And they switched just in the 50s, just after the end of the colonies. This is why Indonesia still drives on the same side as we drive in the UK, Australia, Japan, etc. I had no idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, very quickly changed his name to Garuda, Garuda International. The name comes from, and that's interesting, it's a, it's a largest Muslim country in the world. 
But the name actually comes from Hinduism, for some reason. The really? Garuda, it's a bird. The name was actually derived from a poem by a Javanese scholar. Uh, I'm Garuda, uh, Vishnu's bird. I mean, of course, a bird, because we're talking about an airline. Yeah. And Vishnu is the second god in the Hindu triumvirate. Uh, three gods, the other two are Brahma and Shiva. And Delivery, the current one, all the older ones, all have this idea of a bird it's a bit uh, i'm overstretching here it's a bit like lufthansa if you want they also have a bird yeah. on their tail the latest one is actually pretty cool it's uh it's a schematic of a bird it has these bluish tendencies i really actually enjoy it it used to be red so totally different so they went a completely different route it was a pretty big airline they went all over the world in the 70s in the 80s and then like uh, your father hinted at to you they went through a really catastrophic era <laughs> of yeah, i think as as a symptom or or result of their rapid growth, perhaps the worst times I think was the nineties. They were mismanagement. They had you know no more money. They were overstretched. The airline seemingly were also used like as a, almost like a pet project by the government. Apparently, I don't know if that's true or not. But like there was you know like broody bad mismanagement. They even had and that was it's more symbolic. Uh, but they there was a murder in the flight by really? by a Garuda crew. So it was no it was a political murder. That's what the history says. I don't have the whole facts, so please, Indonesian friends, correct us if we're wrong. But there was like a murder in two thousand four. So two thousand four. Yeah, off duty crew who was in the flight poisoned a political activist who died on the flight. For crying wow. Out. Yeah, that's that's actually actually really really bad. I think it, it was they slipped something in his in his drink, and I think they even refused to reroute the plane when the person was saying that he was feeling unwell. So this is not the downfall of the airline itself. It's just like the epitome of the all the catastrophic mismanagement and the problems they've been having, which led to the actual ban of the airline over European skies. So yep. you couldn't fly uh, Garuda up to 2010, actually. So we're talking about something really recent. We're not talking about something in the 70s. This is hence the bad reputation it still has and lingers to a lot of people, which I don't understand, especially your father, which has actually lived through all the bad years of Indonesia Garuda. That's quite a... That's a hell, I mean, it's rare that an airline or any entity, frankly, that goes through such a sustained period of not being good to the point of people dying uh, <laughs> gets to the end of it. But 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 they have. I will also add that, of course, if you look at the timing I just described, 2004, that was also right after uh, 9-11. There has been the Bali... The, the bombings, yeah. And the earthquake. You remember the major earthquake yeah. uh, in 2004? Meaning people would less travel, maybe were afraid to travel to, to Indonesia. And they were so there was a lot of disruption all added up to having this catastrophic outcome for the airline. So they, they regrouped. They basically shut down a lot of the routes they were using. They were going all over the world. And now they're a much smaller airline. They're not small, but much smaller than it used to be. Then they decided to do, and they called it the quantum leap. So no, this is not uh, about planes going into different eras with, uh, what was it, <laughs> Sam? What was the name of the guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ziggy. Uh, Ziggy, exactly. Ziggy, thank you. <laughs> but they called it a quantum leap, and they said, okay, we have to regroup and build an airline that is worth of, because, you know, Indonesia is the, what, 
the third largest country in the world, fourth largest country in the world in terms of population. It's a yeah, vast group. We're talking 200, what, 250, 270 million people. So it's really like a massive country. We're not talking about a small country. And they, they quite succeeded. Uh, so they bought 777 300ERs, uh, which I flew actually twice. Interestingly, so twice on the same one, actually. <laughs> the exact same aircraft on the way in and the way back. And they said, okay, we want to become a modern airline and we want to attain five-star Skytrax rating, which they did, which they ended up doing. It's one of the only 10 airlines. That's not a small feat. It's ANA, Asiana, Cathay, Etihad, Eva Air, Hainan, Lufthansa. Lufthansa just got it, actually. So it's really recent. Yeah. Uh, Garuda had it before Lufthansa. Uh, Qatar and Singapore, obviously. To be fair, because some people criticize this uh, five-star award, Skytrax says some of the, the requirement can be also aspirational. So something that it's about to happen, something that they promise to do. It's not only that you have to have had all these requirements. And it shows. I will I will say that later on when I talk about my flight. There are still some inconsistencies in how certain older aircrafts compare to the newer one, for instance. But truth to be told, uh, Qatar Airways, which is in that list, for instance, I've flown older aircrafts on you know non-premium routes, basically not London, the US, and the fancy 350, etc., there's also discrepancies. So, yeah. I mean, it's also worth saying that Emirates are not a five star Skytrax airline, which I think says a lot about what it takes to be a five star airline. Do you think, I'm not sure, do you think airlines have to kind of ask to be rated? Because I'm, I'm, I'm really staggered that Emirates wouldn't be one. I am too. But I, I haven't traveled enough in economy to uh, understand if that's as good as the re- a premium experience in, in Emirates. I have traveled in economy and it was great both times I've done it, but perhaps there's some there's an element there that's not as good as the economy product of the other 10 five-star airlines that might be holding them back. Who knows? Yeah, maybe you're right. I, I've flown all maybe, what, eight times in economy on Emirates and I, I was always kind of. I, I know one of the major things I always say about economy in Emirates is that they're very restrictive on the size of the luggage you can actually bring in. I think it's the size of Ryanair or smaller, so it's really kind of, come on, guys. But other than that, I always found the experience pretty pretty good. I don't know. I don't know if they have to request to be you know audited in order to get it. I don't know either. I, I know, as you say, that it's a it's a contentious at best system platform, whatever you want to call it, uh, and is very divisive. So maybe there's some politics <laughs> happening behind the scenes that we are unaware of. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. The the, the airport itself, I'll, I'll talk at the end, but the airport itself, which is part of the experience, is also in progress. You can see that it can be, and it probably will be, one of the uh, leading airports of the world. I don't think it's there yet. I, I, of course, I don't think Skytrax... I'm not sure how Skytrax does that because the on you know boarding you're not on the flight, but is that part of how they judge an airline? I'm not exactly sure. So maybe that could also uh, influence the uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so they have a they have a fleet. I think they only have uh, ten. I mean, only but ten triple seven three hundred ER. That's not a lot, though, is it? No, it's not a lot actually. Uh, one actually flies in Sky Team because that's the thing that they are the Sky Team airline. They have amazing promo fares all the time. I think this is uh, where they are trying to 
by, not by, that's not the right word. They're trying to gain again the status of like, guys, try us, you'll see, we're not what we used to be. I think they need to do that, to show that to people. Because, you know, Bali, for instance, is a very famous destination. And most people that I know that have flown to Bali, I've never even thought about Garuda. They will always fly Emirates or other other airlines like this. So maybe they are trying to reattain the status that they used to have and show the world being like very transparent. Guys, try us. It's cheaper. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's classic price modeling, isn't it? If you want somebody to experience you, you, you've got to make it almost a no-brainer to deviate from a from a habit and experience a new product or service. Yeah, absolutely. They have uh, a lot of 330s, actually. They even uh, bought uh, 14-330-900neos, so the new ones. Uh, they, they haven't been delivered. I think they will be delivered next year. Their main aircraft is the 737-800 because, uh, and that I realized, of course, when I was in Indonesia, it's a massive country and a lot of Garuda is actually simply internal flights because it's, it's you really need to go places. You know, it's, it's if you look on the map, it's really like this oblong country of yeah. multiple islands. Yeah, exactly. It's very dispersed, isn't it, right? But it's you need a really solid airline infrastructure to make the most of Indonesia. They just retired their last 747. So my first time in Garuda, they didn't have it or would have loved to try it. Uh. It was on October 5th, uh, 2017. Uh, I think it was an actually uh, one of these flights for Haji, you know, because since, again, Muslim country, they do a lot of flights. They also have all economy configurations on some of their uh, aircraft just to shuttle a lot of the people in, in Saudi Arabia during the Hajj. It's one of the business models of the airline. It's not, I don't think it is actually now the biggest airline in Indonesia. I think I've seen like AirAsia all over the place. Yeah, they're growing like crazy. <laughs> I've seen all these, you know, like we like we do, like we go to these airports where less used. You have all these airlines. You have no idea they existed. I mean, AirAsia, of course, I, we know about it. AirAsia X, in that instance, the ones I've seen. But uh, there's all these airlines. I had no idea. I have like tons of pictures I took on a tarmac and like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, there's so many of them. It's, it's really staggering. I think that's also put so much pressure on Indonesia's aviation infrastructure that manifested itself in some tragedies. Hopefully they're going to fix that. But it's this huge growth in in airline service there that's good and bad. Fast growing. You know, I think it's all these emerging countries uh, in Southeast Asia grew super fast. So for instance, Philippine Airlines is still pretty bad. They're, they're trying, but they're still pretty bad. I'm, I'm sorry, my Filipino friends. I, I've heard good things about Vietnam Airlines. Uh, I've yes. Also SkyTeam. I've never flown them but they also a booming one they have a brand new 350s uh, doing a lot of routes as, as well i want to try them once because they look pretty pretty cool as well yeah they fly to london yeah they do exactly and uh, there was a route i was looking into for the end of the, this month where um vietnam airlines was you remember the discussion we've been having i think it was the last episode where i said should i have moved my allegiance to another alliance because when i see yeah. the pricing and as you know guys i go a lot to southeast asia when i see the pricing the sky team offers between garuda between uh vietnam and and others but also simply klm uh or air france to japan is actually pretty cheap right now you have to do a stopover in in Paris if you are flying from London like we are Alex and I 
But, uh, you know, it's, you know, we are price sensitive. You know, we don't have a corporate that backs us up and just like, oh, no. whatever, pay yeah, 5,000 yeah, exactly. euros for a flight. <laughs> no, we have to. And I think that's sort of our sport is to find the, the biggest bang for our buck. Yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of a uh, lot of capacity, growing capacity. And there's a lot of airlines that are wor- are f- available to us now to, to do these routes, which is great. It's a very exciting time. So enough about Garuda. We'll switch and I'll come back to my flight. So we have a little bit of variety in the show. There was, I'll be talking for uh, 35 minutes nonstop, which will make uh, Alex snooze in front of me. Uh, <laughs> a few a few news. Uh, first, <laughs> Lufthansa is apparently modifying its their new livery. It's not even out, almost not out, and it already thinking about changing it. What's up with that? Yeah, I think this story's been grabbed. Uh, yeah, I think okay. it has. I think what they're doing is very sensible and, and pragmatic. They've put it on, I think, two airplanes, this this new livery. Yeah, 1747 and 1320, maybe? I think sure. so. And they're flying them around and they're seeing reaction and they're also looking at the sort of practical elements of it. Does it reflect the brand and all of that? How easy is it to apply to planes and everything else? And they're taking those learnings and they are just modifying it a little bit before they apply it to the entire fleet, which is very, very sensible. I think the the major hiccup is not... Uh, because if you were reading Twitter, everybody says, oh, they're trying to bring yellow back. No, yellow will not be back on delivery. Yellow is actually heavily used on yeah. the brand within the aircraft, uh, on the signage in the airport, on the signage in the aircraft, on uh, the uniforms, and I think on the menus and the chocolates and stuff like that. But the main thing that they've realized apparently uh, is that the, the shade of blue they've been using once it's actually in real life use, is too dark and it almost looks like black. And they want black. to go for something, I think, slightly lighter. Yeah. One second. I, I have something to show you. <laughs> this pertinent to this conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, interestingly, in the latest issue of Monocle, there was this insert, which is 51-page booklet on the rebranding. No way. Yeah, which the whole thought process, the logo, how it applies to the uniform, how they paint the planes, how it goes through to apps and, and all of that. And I thought that, what's his name? Uh, Tyler, who, Tyler Brule. Tyler Brule, yeah, who, who, or Brule, or however you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> Cre- he's done phenomenal work. Cre- with Creme Brule. Creme Brule, yeah. <laughs> That's a, he, he's, I like him. I like me too, what he me did too. for Swiss. But, um, and so I assumed that they were something to do with this, but they're not. Oh, so it's, so, just, it's just an explanation of what the other guys have done, basically. Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I don't know. They should make it available online, but it's, it's, uh, it's a really... Monocle is too hipster to be online, man. Yeah, this is also true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, all the way through to like how it looks, how it will be reflected in the menus and all of that. Oh, wow. It's, it's not like they haven't thought about this. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that it's... It, what they're doing is all part of a process. Yeah, it's a process. And it's just recalibration. I, I think the <laughs> headlines were overblown as they're rethinking. No, they're not rethinking. I think they're just adjusting, especially with real-life conditions. And that's happened, you know. Even you just mentioned Swiss. Uh, that was a longer process. But Swiss, the original logo that was developed after the the demise of Swissair and the birth of Swiss was a square by the same Tyler Brule. Yeah. I really adored 
The entire brand was, for me, one of the best. I know it's very Euro-white and it's been criticized. It's just basically simple. No, no, it's great. But the, the square, I absolutely, there was two square next to each other, one with a, a just a square, a red square, and the other one's Swiss International Airlines because that's the actual name of the company. And once, after a few years of using it, they've realized that in the end of the day, what people really uh, caught on was always the Swiss flag, on the tail so they reuse that as the main logo so now the the logo all the rest stays the same but the logo the main logo is a representation of the tail this the red tail with a white cross here in that case maybe they realized that the blue was too dark and they just want to go lighter blue and it's, they only have two or three aircrafts repainted and they can still yeah. do it. That's it. I, I honestly think you're only going to discover that. I mean, you can you can think about these things on paper until the cows come home, which they obviously <laughs> have, but you're but you're only ever going to learn those things and when you're in real world conditions and you're in a gray, you know, Frankfurt morning and those lighting conditions make you go, you know what, I think it's too dark. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I know we're, I know we're, we're getting into... The mechanics of, of something and not into the you know airline world, but I, I admire them for being bold enough to, to make this call. Yeah, and I really, really, really do like the the new livery. I know that some of our listeners, because I've received some messages, emails, etc., say they meh or they really don't like it. I personally really like the new. Uh, it's not the new brand because it's really an evolution of what some of the existing. Yeah. Let's not exaggerate. They're using this almost the same font. They're using pretty much. Everything very similar to what... Because it's a great brand already, so they didn't really need It really to. is. Since we're on Star Alliance, that was a piece of news that uh, we discussed a bit, you and me, in the past few weeks where we're not recording. Star Alliance is actually considering onboarding all their budget, a.k.a. low-cost brothers and sisters within Star. So let's say uh, Singapore has Scoot. Scoot now would be actually part of Star Alliance. It makes sense, right? It does make sense. It does make sense because then for people like us, that opens up redemption and reward opportunities and connections and all of that stuff. It it it, it makes sense. I'm actually surprised it took this long for them to do it. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, for instance, I don't think we can qualify Cathay Dragon as a budget, or would you? No. In fact, there was a fascinating article in the South China Morning Post recently about Cathay's decision to make sure that it never became a low-cost carrier came out of the conversation between John Slosser, who's the chairman of Cathay, and the former CEO of United Airlines, oh, saying wow. who oversaw TED, and said, "I really wish we hadn't done that." Oh wow, um, interesting. And that kind of yeah. So I'll we, I'll I'll post a link because it was a good read. Okay, well, I had no idea. Because uh, that was my line of thought. I mean, sometimes it feels that this uh, the line with what is uh, budget, low-cost, non-budget is really thin because a lot of the airlines have... I mean, clearly, sometimes it's, it's, it's clear when you have Air France doing Transavia, Transavia, they've decided since the beginning it's a low-cost or budget because they prefer the term budget uh, carrier. Some of the other, like, you know, Cathay Dragon, like I learned now, never felt as a budget airline, but yeah. it's still uh, the most cost-effective airline than the main one. Meaning the differentiation within an alliance for customers, for passengers like us, and like, okay, so you're part of the same group, Willing is part of IAG, 
but you wouldn't be part of the frequent flyer program. Why is yeah. that? It doesn't make sense. I think, by the way, willing, you actually get accrued miles if you fly them. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've never flown on them. Because I think that sometimes when you want to fly to some destinations in Europe and you are on BA's websites or Iberia websites, you get actually booked on Vueling. So I would only assume that if you do that, they kind of just then announce that, oh, by the way, you've bought a BA ticket, but since you Vueling metal, you don't have any miles. I don't think that would yeah, actually which work. which is infuriating. <laughs> so I mean, Star- Especially when you discover after the fact. Yeah. I believe that Star Alliance here, they're just being realistic about the mm-hmm. fact that more and more of the world will be, especially for short to medium haul, will be about using budget, low-cost carriers. I mean, of course, you'll be also using a long-haul, low-cost, but if they want to compete, they need to have this ability to be flexible into. Alex sometimes wants to have the plush experience of a cafe first and then needs to have also the cheap cost of like a 45 minutes within Southeast Asia. Exactly. Right? That's exactly the type of scenario where I would use it. Yeah, and, uh, and also interline agreements etc etc since we're on star let's talk about united (laughs) why is it that every time we need to talk about united there's something negative i don't know they're looking for it they're replacing their old bonus structure oh my god yeah with a lottery how is that even a thing it was so bad that I mean, obviously, and rightfully, they people flipped out and there were protests and they were universally mocked that they've climbed down massively from this. They're not going to do it anymore, but that that they even suggested that this was a good idea and that people would be okay with it is <laughs> so tone deaf. It's, it's not even fun. And then I would be saying this if it was about United or about some not airline company because it's just dumb they retracted and said we're pressing the pause button on this id the the, the thing you know i'm guessing uh when you do cost cutting which all the airlines want to do including garuda by the way they're all trying to be more efficient in the very competitive world uh they must have said okay Maybe it's more cost-effective to just say we're randomly going to attribute bonuses to people as a lottery than to actually have an entire system where we have to review employees. You know, you have these 360 reviews between the boss and the, and, and, uh, the employee, et cetera, et cetera. So let's remove all this and just have a system where we just attribute money for, which makes sense on a pure uh, Excel spreadsheet level, but doesn't make sense on a human level at all. Because why would I be a good employee if I have no correlation between my job and whatever salary i'm getting i mean <laughs> yeah well exactly <laughs> <laughs> we should do a layovers lottery so we only two so one of us gets the bonus at the end of the year i mean we don't make any money guys out of yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh i was about to go to qatar but before i do that uh, tell us about your emirates experience it was it was very very good i flew um just london to dubai and back and it was much better than my last business class experience, which I think I shared on this show, which was a, a red eye with odd service and a strangely uncomfortable seat. This was not not the case here. This was consistent. It was it was very, very good. I had a very early morning flight, so I think my my chauffeur picked me up <laughs> at my house in rural England at about uh, maybe five thirty in the morning, yeah, uh, which is fine. So you were taking a nine a.m. service, right? A nine a.m. service. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I actually, I did a little video of this for Attaché. Yeah, not, I was not, about to say it's really nice. People should actually watch it. Not one of our nice ones that Greg does, but just something to to be along for the ride. The service was exemplary. 
And it, I don't know if you noticed this, but they don't give you an amenity kit on many routes and many services on Emirates anymore in business class. No, so they, uh, so it's been a while already uh, because I've, I've asked the question uh, because they used to at the beginning give you always and uh, it's true that they don't do it anymore on daytime flights. Yeah. Which I suppose is fine, but I wanted one and I asked and the flight attendant kind of looked around surreptitiously and said, hang on a minute. And she went back, and I guess they have a secret stash for somewhere. And she came back and sort of slipped it to me while making a comment about something completely other and said, just don't tell anybody. Whether it was an act or real or not, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was just a really nice gesture. Sorry, I will interrupt you there because I had this thought when I was flying recently Garuda and they're also nice amenity kids. Uh, do you think, I mean, besides us liking having one, and I especially love the pouches actually more than anything, because sometimes, mm. sometimes I actually use the pouches for other purposes later, for my cables, for instance. But Yeah, yeah, they're great. But do you think it's really always necessary? Because I've seen, for instance, like Emirates, when you go into the lavatory, they have a stash of, you know, toothpaste and yeah, combs razors, and razors. I mean, besides the fact that it's a nice experience to get one of these, but what do you think with the le the number of people that just open it and just don't do anything with them? No, no, I think it's fine. I just, uh, I forgot uh, that they didn't have one. That really doesn't bother me at all. What does bother me is when there, it is a red eye and there's no earplugs or, or eye mask. That's the only thing I really care about. Some airlines have attempted to remove that and then met with rage. Contempt. <laughs> Which they should, frankly. It's dumb not to provide those things, but there we are. <laughs> I mean, just in general, I've come to realize that many times there's many things that I just wouldn't use. Is it a bit, you know, not really environmentally friendly? I mean, I, I like them, you know, and but it's I'm perfectly fine to have most of the items that would be within these amenity kits at my disposal in a lavatory or simply on demand, like the earplugs, for instance. I don't, personally, I don't use earplugs because I always have uh, noise-canceling headphones on me. Even if I sleep, I know people say, yeah, can you kind of sleep on the side? No, it's not true. I can. <laughs> I got yeah. used to it, maybe. But I understand that needs to be on the plane, but I'm not always sure it actually needs to be in an amenity kit. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. So, um, go on. So, was it? So No, no, I, I mean, the you know, of course, you know that Heathrow lounge it's excellent it's light airy got great views of the runway you board from the lounge which is just a joy makes life a lot easier it was a very new a380 on on the way there mm -hmm. and not as new on the way back and I, the only reason i can tell is just the wear and tear but also we had the touch close um double window shades yeah on the way over there and then the just the flip up and down manual ones which oh i actually prefer yeah, me too. they can't lock them me too <laughs> so uh but again a great experience the food was fantastic as it always is what was interesting about the food is that they had a partner dish from Qantas. so you have oh the yeah thematic the, the sandwich uh, is it? the sandwich yeah it was it was a um um hang on i'll tell you exactly what it was i've got the menu right here because i'm that much of a dork <laughs> it was a I had that. I tried it actually two years ago. I'm not sure it's always there. I know it's first. It's always there. I've lost it now. But it was it was a um, pork cutlet with Emmental cheese, <laughs> and it was it was fantastic. It was really really good. Because I asked the the cabin crew when she was taking orders, "What do you what do you recommend?" And she's like, "To be honest with you, we all flipping love this sandwich." And so so I got it, and it was very very good. 
but yeah, I mean, Emirates business class is so good. The the lounge is great. Although I did see someone get into a huge altercation in the lounge. What? Because they were stupid enough to pick up a hot bagel. <laughs> and they went full, let me speak to the manager. And this went on for like 90 minutes. I'm like, come on, really? And I almost wanted to say to the to the poor crew that we're dealing with this guy, he's the dumbass. He picked up a, a hot bagel and is now blaming you for it because he's too dumb to realize that hot things are hot. My uh, God. People are so, my God. Yeah, it's frustrating. No, this is... But, and you don't want yeah. to intervene because you're uh, a sane human being. You don't Some, want any trouble. But yeah, but at the same time, sometimes you want to say, hey, guys, have some common sense. You know, it was hot. Like you just said, I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, yeah. Chicken schnitzel and Swiss cheese sandwich. <laughs> Looked yeah. horrendous. It tasted delicious. I'm I, had the, I had the traditional mezza to start with. I, 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 I'm a big fan of Emirates. I'm going to fly them uh, in, what, two weeks, I think? So I'm going to be trying to have that. Were you flying both ways the 380? Yes. I'm asking that because, and I've not looked into it. Uh, so guys, if you have more information or could simply Google it, which I haven't done before we started recording this show because it was very last minute. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, uh, so Emirates had announced, I don't know if it was an announcement or if it just hinted at it, back two years ago that all their flights, Gatwick and Heathrow, would be 380 only. When I was looking for that flight that I'm doing in two weeks, uh, there were routes coming back to Heathrow, interestingly, that were 777s. I wonder if this is something to do with Stansted coming online. Yeah, maybe. And capacity availability. But you're right, because the 380 for me is the selling point. Yeah, me too. Uh, There's a flight that I might have to do with Emirates as well, which is to Kuala Lumpur. Most of their flights there are 777. There's only very few 380s uh, routes there. I mean, during the day, I think there's one, and all the others are 777s. I'm fine with the 777 in terms of the the seats. It's uh, You don't have all ale access. Uh, some of yes. the older... And that's the thing, because you mentioned having an older uh, 380, Uh, at least with a 380, because it's uh, only, what, 10 years old, the oldest one maybe from, from Emirates. Uh, although they've iterated the, the product, it always is very consistent. On a 777, it's always staggered, always like 232, and, you know, so you have... But the oldest 777s, it's angled lie flat. It's not lie flat, if I remember yes. correctly, meaning that... You don't know where you're gonna get for the same price you would have at another uh, aircraft when you are onboarding a triple seven. If I'm pretty sure that if you do triple seven to London because it's one of their high yield route, they will put some of the newer ones. Kuala Lumpur, or I remember when I flew Kochi in India, etc. They they will sometimes have older ones, and then for the seemingly the same price, you have another product. Uh, I I know we're a geek when we say that, but we cannot know in advance which one no. they will put, which is a bit frustrating sometimes. It is. And I should qualify my A380 777 call. I love the 777 as a plane. It's yeah, more yeah me too. Exactly what you were just talking about. It's the it's the product. Yeah, it's the inside product. For Emirates specifically. Although, uh, and I think we've mentioned that many times when we talk about Emirates, you and me, uh, I have a preference for the 777 in terms of service because it's smaller. It seems that the crew somehow is less industrial with you. I know I've used that term already. You know, the size, the sheer size of that 
yeah. upper floor means that sometimes service has to be not quick because they're not like rushing, but it's you know repetitive because they have they have like so many passengers who do the same thing. On the triple seven, sometimes I find it a little bit more personal, and I'm not yeah. blaming here the crew. I'm just saying simply because of the size of the aircraft, there's no other way to do it correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but again, I did find the service exemplary. Yeah, yeah, um, and fa- the, the speed with which they they got meals out and that's one thing that does frustrate me a little bit about ba is it does take a long time to get the meal but even when when i boarded in dubai it was another morning flight 9 a.m they said we're not going to serve lunch until about an hour and a half after we take off so if you want something you should you know i'm happy to get it for you but i I appreciated knowing that because then i could plan things a bit better anything else you want to add about that flight no i i I just love it i love i love that airport I i love that place i went to my favorite place in uh in Bergman for for some food uh so yeah it was brief but interestingly i barely left the airport because i stayed and spoke in a hotel that was connected to the airport no way so i had to i had to sort of make a conscious effort to say i'm going to leave now and i'm going to jump in an uber and go out into dubai otherwise i could have literally just stayed at the airport for my entire time oh, they really didn't want to do so you didn't use the chauffeur service in dubai i did because they wanted me to i really could have walked although i think it would have been pretty unpleasant because the roads around maybe that's why they didn't let me actually because there's so much construction going on yeah. around the airport that perhaps the uh, route would not have been an option i bet you that's why they did it actually did you try upgrading yourself? There was no availability. Otherwise, I would have used some miles to, to go back and have a shower. The the load factors yeah. are so high. But, you know, we should live in a smaller city or something. <laughs> because sometimes it's just very frustrating. Since we are at the MEFU, let's talk briefly about Qatar, uh, because Qatar settled an agreement with the US on this big battle that was our epic uh, <laughs> discussion since the very early shows. It, uh, yeah. it was almost defining our show for a little while. Potentially, is it because Qatar has so much predicaments now? They have this blockade that's still happening. So, you know, they have a limited airspace to fly out of their own country. They cannot go to Dubai, which is really actually uh, super frustrating because I wish I could still sometimes use Qatar to go to Dubai. So they settled an agreement with uh, the US. A part of the agreement uh, is that Qatar Airways will issue audited financial reports within a year. Uh, and within two years, it must disclose any transaction with uh, state-owned enterprises. So basically what they are asking here, what the US is telling is, is like, okay, if you do anything that appears to be some kind of subsidy, because you know they're, they're very closely related to the state, yeah. you should let us know and we will make a decision. The deal... I don't think it mentions any route limitations, etc. But we know that Qatar hasn't expanded to the US. Do you think it's just because they are in this more feeble position and they had to find a way to stabilize their relationship, or do you think, I think it's-, it's? I mean, the cynic in me says that this is something that is inconsequential, but is aimed to give a moral victory to the US without actually doing anything. It cannot be hard to obfuscate the source of those funding you know, to some weird offshore company. Again, that's the cynic in me. I don't think it's going to be a 
any change whatsoever. No, actually, this is more like a symbolic win. Uh, it's not either a blueprint for the two others, Etihad and, and, and Emirates. When the article in the agreement says that Qatar Airways is not allowed to do any fifth freedom routes to the US, the thing is... That's frustrating. But they never planned to do any, at least officially and publicly. Here, I think it's a signal to the others, telling, especially Emirates, obviously, they, have, they fly from Athens, from Milan, to tell them, look, this is what we agree with them. If you want to play ball with us, this is what you should. So it's a signal so Emirates stop doing these fifth round routes, which I don't think they will stop doing. But I mean, this is a bit of the bargaining game here. I don't think it leads to any different position for Qatar Airways itself. No, no, me neither. You wonder what the hell the point was in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> How much did this cost? God, I don't know. Well, <laughs> Oh, but since we're on there, you're talking about another tariff battle, the one with Bombardier, which is kind of settled. It looks like, contrary to what we said in a, in a previous episode, that uh, Boeing will create a venture with Embraer. It will be a separate venture that the actual Embraer, because the government in Brazil said, no way, you're not buying Embraer because it's too tightly linked with our defense industry. So they will create yep. a new company with only commercial aircraft of which Boeing will held 51%. So exactly what you didn't want to happen is happening. Uh, yeah, that's disappointing, isn't it? I, don't, I, I hope that they leave it. I hope they continue it because they're, they're actively selling the E-2 jets at the moment. They're going around the world and pitching to people, especially JetBlue. Actually, you know what? There was an incredible quote from Jason Rabinowitz, who's a at Airline Flyer on Twitter, who's uh, a really interesting guy, that... Uh, this was uh, the E-190E2. On a simulator test, quote, we pulled the nose up to 30 degrees, pitched and rolled the aircraft onto its back. Without our intervention, the aircraft pitched down, rolled out of the inverted altitude, and smoothly recovered from the overspeed during the, the steep descent. All by itself. Wow. That's just incredible to me. This is this wow. is a great airplane. So I, I, I want them to continue. I want them to, because they're, they're, they're innovators and I appreciate it. And they make great airplanes. They absolutely do. Wow. Isn't that amazing? As we said, I mean, there's always a possibility that simply, you know, Embraer will keep up doing the same aircraft as Bombardier is supposed to do with Airbus and simply use Boeing's and or Airbus for Bombardier's, uh, you know, customer relationship, network, spare part, et cetera. So it, it could be, and let's hope so, that yeah. Embraer keeps its own personality, just has a better chance of fighting all over the world. It could have been a defensive purchase to make sure that no one else got them as well, which, yeah. again, is a little frustrating. Be a proxy battle. I mean, this is what we're yeah. seeing. Actually. Very true. Okay, let's go to my uh, to my Garuda. Yes. <laughs> so Garuda, I told you the story of the airline. So I was looking into because of the great promo fares. I wanted to do this extra long flights. So I'm booking it. That's the one thing that still doesn't work very well, Garuda people. Your website, the website is still off and on. Actually, you would fail many times simply trying to find me the route. I would actually put the thing and it would just say, sorry, you know, due to technical difficulties, we cannot calculate the price of that route. I'm like, I'm just going to freaking Jakarta. You know, <laughs> I don't know if there are teething problems, but it's really not great. So I ended up buying the fare on uh, Opodo, which is one of the OTAs that exists. It's actually a pretty good as far as you know these third party OTAs that we rarely speak about they have a pretty good experience both on the website and on their mobile app it's really well done you can do a pretty good research uh, so it worked pretty well they have one thing that I really didn't appreciate but I, I, I got around it at the end is that I was buying a business class flight then they say oh do you want to add seats and I'm like yeah I want to add seats 
oh, here's you have to pay more, where actually it's free to do it on Garuda's. So it's just a mean for people that are a bit less, um, a bit clueless to actually, you know, that's, being that's... ripped. Yeah, I didn't really like that, to be honest with you, at Opoto, because, you know, I'm like, if I were to fly maybe economy in, a, in some airlines that, you know, only allow to have seats booked to seven days in advance, etc., yeah, fine. I would pay. It was not expensive, but this was like, guys, I know I'm not supposed to pay for a, a normal seat. You know, why are you asking me to pay? So I paid. Yeah. Then I called them and they re, they removed the the things. Good. Yeah. Still. Uh, still. When I was looking to find where would be uh, the best seat to fly from London to Jakarta, I was going on, you know, our usual flyer talks, etc., and all these reviews. There's not that many reviews about Garuda yet, because, again, it's an airline that is really starting to regrow. So there's not a lot of flight reports, but I was trying to see what could be the best seat, you know, because we're geeks and we're looking at things like that. The seats are exactly the same. Uh, on business class that the ones you can find on Iberia, uh, the 340, if I'm not mistaken, or 330. One, two, one, staggered seat. So it's always best to have the seat on the window because you have more privacy. The one that are not on the windows, but still on that ale, of course, you're completely open to the, the ale. You know, we know the drill. I, uh, most of the airlines are like that. I was looking at that and I found... Somebody mentioning that he was able to upgrade to first class for $150. And I'm like, what? What? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> exactly. I was like, no, 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 no. That can't be. That can't be. I tried to go online, but because I didn't buy my ticket on Garuda's, I'm not able to participate in the, a system of, uh, I'm not sure if it's true bidding, but I couldn't get access to that system because I had uh, bought for a third party. But another person said on another thread, he was able to do that at the airport. And he mentioned something very important. I was only able to do it four hours before the flight. Four hours. So my flight, thank God, was at nine something p.m. So I said, you know what? Because I want to try, I'm going to go way early. I mean, you and me go very early <laughs> airports yeah, anyway. So I said, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna try to go a bit earlier and, and try my luck. Of course, lots of traffic on the M25 end up like arriving with like two minutes to spare before four hours. I'm like, my God, why am I so early? I'm not going to be able to make it. I go there, Terminal 3 at Heathrow, so the the one that is a bit now older and tired. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. Which is strange, by the way, because Garuda is Sky Team, and Sky Team at Heathrow is all Terminal 4. I'll come to that in a minute. So um, I found it on the very right-hand side where actually a Middle Eastern airline is as well. It feels like, you know, these airlines that didn't have enough money to have a premium spot in the airport. I'm sorry, yeah. Middle Eastern Airlines. I'm nothing. No, you, know. you know, I'm stressed out. I have like a minute before I reach that four-hour point. I'm like, I need to do something now. I cannot fight ticketing. But I see the first-class check-in counter. By the way, there are already people waiting both on the economy and the business line for checking. I'm like, wow, are you supposed to be that early? I enter the first class counter. The, you know, there's a nice carpentry and et cetera, you know, that really stands out. There's two people and say, hi, can I help you? Yeah, I would like to inquire for a first class upgrade. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is never going to happen. They're going to ask right. me for like a thousand pounds to upgrade, especially because, again, I was in a very seemingly low fare. I had paid the entire flight from... London to Seoul and back was a thousand two hundred pounds. Amazing, which is nothing. So for me, yeah, I'm you like, can't even get to Dubai for that. <laughs> exactly, which t tells me I'm in a super promo fair. Either they're going to tell me upgrade is impossible, or they're going to tell me that upgrade is like half of my kidney or something. <laughs> 
it turns out to be like, I think it was 300. And I'm like, okay, the client already paid the flight, so it's just 300 for me for 14 hours. I'm never going to get another chance to fly freaking first class for 300 because my cost to me is only 300. Yeah, yeah. That's where science fiction began. I haven't paid. He's already emitting me my boarding passes for first class. <laughs> He's apologizing, saying, I'm very sorry, I cannot upgrade you for the second leg. Second leg being from Jakarta to Seoul, because there's no such thing as a first class. And I'm like, no, but I really want only the first class for that long-ass flight, which yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm handing my credit card ticketing, and the person next to me, which was the person who had dealt with uh, my request at a first class counter suddenly becomes a butler that's it takes pretty amazing i don't realize it first it takes my carry-on and you know i interject like i'm not going to check that in you know i'm gonna keep it with me say no sir don't worry i'm 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 gonna help you with that and i'm like why is he gonna help you with my carry-on i don't need help you know it's not like (laughs) and as soon as i get the receipt for my credit card invoice he says yeah please follow me okay and actually, he goes with me at security, the fast track security, through security with me. He walks me all the way through the number one lounge. They don't have their own lounge at Heathrow, so they're using number one, which is one of these uh, third-party lounges. There's a room, an entire room, closed off, only for me. Then he introduces me to my person that's going to take care of me while I wait for the flight, asks me... So uh, what time do you want me to be to be boarding? Uh, look at him and say, I don't know. What time should we board? <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. And he says, uh, usually we board first class uh, passengers last, 30 minutes before the flight. I look at him and say, you know what? I will have waited like for like almost three hours in the lounge. Could I have like an early boarding? He says, no problem, sir. Of course. As soon as the cleaning is done, there's only a two hours, I think, turnaround between the flight coming from Jakarta and leaving. As soon as it's done, I'm going to pick you up. He hands me his business card. In my head, I'm like, he's handing his business card because he wants me to maybe put a good word of the good yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And he's, here's my cell. You can call me anytime <laughs> if you need anything. I'm like, what? I'm in the lounge. Why would I need you to? He's even asked me, do you want me to accompany you to do some shopping? I'm, I, I, it's science fiction. That's incredible. <laughs> All the while, the other person who was taking care I think she was a number one uh, employee, so the lounge employee. She comes with a menu. Usually at number one, you have to pay for stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is not free. Here, of course, everything is free. They have their own menu for first-class passengers. I could order, like, I don't have it in front of me, guys, but so many things. I could order, of course, champagne and everything. I mean, it was incredible. So the guy, I'm going to just say his name. I don't think he was Indonesian because his first name was Sandesh. I think he must have been probably Pakistani, but I wouldn't be uh, absolutely sure. Very nice gentleman. What I really loved about the experience, because to be honest with you, Alex, this experience of having a butler, especially with people like you and me, we used to do stuff at our own pace. Yeah, yeah. It's almost, yeah. It's awkward. It's appreciated, but not necessarily. Yeah. It's, yeah no, you're, like, you you're like, I'm with you why? There. You know, especially at security, I'm like, I need to, oh, I'm going to hurry even faster than I usually do because this guy is, you know, he doesn't have a, a carry-on, <laughs> so he's he's super fast through. And I'm, I'm still, like, putting my belt back. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'll do quick. He's like, no worries, sir. And, but, you know, it's, it's weird, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's as if, like, maybe I would have liked 
to, I don't know, just get a bit of fresh air before going through security or doing some, I don't know, go to a convenience store. I, I didn't yeah. I didn't request it because I wanted to see what it was, but it's almost awkward. The thing that was brilliant, though, and absolutely brilliant, is that this person, and that was the case for all the other people I've met throughout this journey about Garuda, loved the airline so much. He was telling me about when they bought the 777s. For geeks like us, it was amazing. Also, mm. not only when they bought the 777s, that specific 777, exactly how old it was, how wow. my experience will be inside, what kind of food I could... Yeah, I was asking him questions, you know. Uh, at some point, I said jokingly, you know, uh, uh, that on the way back... Until very recently, because the airport at Jakarta, the runway was not uh, long enough. I'm not kidding. That's funny. They couldn't take off fully loaded with a 777 and have enough fuel to do London. So they would do Jakarta, Singapore, do a refuel at Singapore, and then fly to London. And this has stopped a few months ago because now they, I think they just expanded the runway. And I was asking him about that. It was very open. Yeah, we have this, but it's no longer the case. And then he was telling me, we have first-class services now uh, with 777s. Our two main routes are Narita and uh, London. Your flight actually does London-Jakarta, Jakarta-Bali, Bali-Narita. I'm like, oh, wow, this is something I should do one day, actually. <laughs> because it's, yeah. it's per- perfect. Lots of great places there. Yeah, you go, you go to Bali first, and then you go to our beloved Tokyo. Come on, Alex, this is just perfect no no brainer but um, no brainer but amazing how much the person knew about the airline it loved the airline like it was it was not fake you know it was not like a script that it was because again i was asking a question about the airline about the logo about you know he was able to answer everything he felt he truly loved his job and truly loved it that's something that it's quite extraordinary in any it, line it, of work when you see someone being so enthusiastic about his own job and his own workplace. It's amazing, honestly. It's something uh, incredible. Anyway, he comes picking me up. It, oh, that, yeah, that's the other strange thing, Alex. You know, we like to be early at the gate as well, right? Mm-hmm. There, yeah. you have to wait for this guy to pick you up. You become oblivious of the actual time because you yeah. don't check. But it's also a bit upsetting because, like, right now I would actually like to go to the gate, but he's not yeah. here to pick me up. But actually, when he picked me up, I was literally the first one to board. So he really made good on his promise to pick me up early before everybody else. If I had been to the gate, I would have just sat there waiting for the plane to be ready. So actually, it was, you know, what I wanted. But it's strange because we like to be in control. We're so used to it. Again, he takes my carry-on. You know, I tell him it's not necessary. It's no, sir. It's part of our first-class service. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, we walk. I remember it was gate 31. The uh, the gates at Terminal 3, Lethal, for you guys who have been there, are not the best. You know, they're like these kind of enclosed, very low ceiling gates. Yeah. Uh, not really, really nice, right? You know, there are uh, these uh, people movers. And I'm like, we're overshooting the gate. We should have stopped here and just walked. No, 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 no. Because we have a private access to the gate. No way. The guy swipes his card, opens the door. The door, I'm not even entering the gate. I'm entering directly into the jet bridge. And I go into the jet bridge and basically he hands me over to the head cabin in the first class. And he told me, because he saw I was curious, I was like, okay, so up till when are you supposed to do that? And he says, yeah, well, our job is to never leave you alone. Which, oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, he handed me over, presented me the person. And, you know, whilst we were walking the jet bridge, he says, 
I don't remember her name. I'm really, I'm really bad. I should have written her uh, the name down. He says, oh, and that will be her today. And she's my favorite. You'll see she's a wonderful person. And yes, she was a wonderful person. It's, she probably is. You know what we, I think you said that many times, Alex, you know, these, um, the type we found of Cathay Pacific, you know, mm-hmm. really super experienced head of cabins that seemingly know what you want before you actually want it. Yeah, that, that's that they're a rare breed. That's that level, which is surprising because you'd say, surprising, I'm, I'm not sure it's the right word, but you say, Garuda, this quantum leap with Ziggy is only less than 10 years. It's five, six years. But this person seemingly has had experience yeah. for 30 years. Was she from another airline before or was she simply that's super well-trained? possibly, yeah. Because she was Indonesian, clearly, so maybe she had been working for somebody else, but impeccable. Impeccable. That's, of, of course, it's a first-class guy, I get it, but that's a five-star airline. And then science fiction continues, because I'm sitting. So the seat is very reminiscent, because now you've done it, Alex, to what you see in, uh, no, very reminiscent is an overstatement, to what you see in Emirates. So they have doors as well. They're not electrical, so you have to do manually, like on Asiana. Very, very, very large seat that transforms into a bed, very large screen, not as large as the latest screens on first class in Emirates, but still really fantastic quality. I'm sitting, and this other, uh, the flight attendant comes to me. She was adorable. I cannot remember her name either. I wish, because I would have really have wanted to say something to... To the, to the airline. She brings me slippers, but we're not talking about slippers like you find in all the airlines I've flown until now in my life. Yeah. And I've not done all the first class possible. We're talking about really like, you know, these, like you have at home with a very large sole, very deep sole. It's just something that, I don't know, like that I would buy for at least a hundred quid in a shop. Like, wow. A, like something completely... And, you know, she's like they do in Asian airlines. She's almost on her knees. You know, they, they, they're mm-hmm. very bent down. She puts a piece of cloth, red, in front of my feet because, you know, the, the, cabin, the cabin is so large. And she puts the, the slippers there. And, you know, I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to remove my shoes, right? Uh, and I put the slippers because... Basically, I think she's expecting me to put my slippers so then she can remove that piece of cloth that she put, like, to delicately offer me slippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, she's talking to me about the food we'll be having, that she'll be introducing me to the chef later on. I'm like, oh, my God, there's a chef. And um, I remove my my boots, and there's, on the side, there's another, and this time it's not a piece of cloth, but it's a piece of leather, which is solid. And then she removes the red piece of cloth, and... She leaves with my shoes like, you know, like a, like a waiter would do. And she goes away with my shoes. So they are basically taking your shoes and putting in safe storage for the duration of the flight. I'm <laughs> like, what Jeez. is that? Anyway, then I get introduced to the chef. Super cool guy. Everybody was Indonesian. I, I think it's one of the best experiences in terms, you know, along the Emirates, along uh, Asiana was probably a slightly just below because the, the teams were not as... Um, uh, warm, 
there was a very warm rapport and that was, that yeah. makes it something quite incredible which i i've never had i've never done Cathay pacific first i've never done singapore first i've done etihad first and i had a great rapport i had done emirates first I had a great rapport uh asiana it was amazing but it was a bit more cold maybe it's just cultural right yeah that was incredible the food alex i mean we'll talk about in another episode because i could dedicate an entire episode you love indonesian food i had everything i, I wanted did. and more the only thing i would say here is that you know it's like in Emirates first class, they put the, the, the menus into these leather uh, yes. books, which is great, but it sucks because I, I couldn't take them with me. I want, like, you know, you're like, I, I want to keep the menu, but you, you don't want to steal the thing with the, with the leathers. Well, when I had that with Emirates, I said, um, Can I get a copy of the menu? And she's like, Just oh, here, I'll take it out and you t- just take this. I wanted the same thing. I should have asked. Uh, probably I could have done it, actually. The champagne was absolutely out of this world. I don't have it, uh, the name in front of me. I think it's, uh, but it's one of the best champagne I've ever had. I'm a sucker for champagne. I love champagne. It's really not what you should have in flight, as in it gives you a headache. Yeah. Uh, there was obviously, since you also had that thing with Emirates, there was caviar as well. <laughs> the table, the tray, the tray, I've sent you a picture, remember? The tray is is was I don't know it's the size of a table from the Middle Ages right the weight of that thing it must be at least thirty kilos There's yeah a- it looked like an Indonesian hardwood <laughs> it is it actually is you, that's incredible you have to press a button mechanism to put it out and it's huge absolutely huge uh, great thing there were air events love it Ugh. do that please other airlines fantastic fantastic experience fourteen hours the IFE. Great content, but of course not as complete as Emirates. But I had so many things I hadn't flown for two months, man. I can, I can. There's so many things I could, I could watch. The UI was maybe not as uh, spectacular as some of the others, like Turkish, etc. But it worked. The one funny bit it was you could actually. Uh, personalize the UI. You can say the colors and the font. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, that's the first menu you get. You get in, say. Uh, choose your uh, wallpaper. I'm like, why do I want to choose a wallpaper? Yeah. I just, want to- <laughs> <laughs> just want to get to the content. <laughs> no, everything was uh, super well done. There's one thing on the AFI I, I really appreciate, the way they display the time remaining to uh, your flight. No matter what you do, you can just press a quick button and you have a drop-down shading on the up of the screen that tells you what time it is in London, what it is in Jakarta, how long the right. remains of the flight. Really, really well done. You always know where you are. They had internet. Guys, in Europe, we still don't have internet for crying out loud. The head of cabin gave me like a, this uh, voucher, so it's a card, scratch card. The weather was super fast all throughout. That's amazing. And we just, we, Europe really like the, the Bermuda Triangle of Wi-Fi. There's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's coming. We'll probably talk about it in the next episode because it's already a long episode, this one. But I think it was uh, the, the Germans, uh, Deutsche Telekom, or what's the name? Okay, that, interesting. That, yeah, they do. And it's, uh, I think otherwise, the full flight, because I did that on the way back in business class, the full flight would be, I think, $20, which for a 14-hour flight is actually... That's not bad at all. Yeah, really, right? It's uh, it's really not bad. So you would have died for the food. You could, ch- <laughs> of course, choose about modern international or you could Indonesian, and uh, there were cheese dessert. I mean, I, I I was not able to eat it all because I was I would have exploded. There was a, <laughs> <laughs> it was obviously one of the best flights I've done, but I would say mostly because of the people. It really is makes a difference, doesn't it? And, and it, I think 
what you've described and will continue to, des- to describe because you've only done one leg. And I know there's more little secrets here and Easter eggs, but it's the connected experience, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. From, from ground to air to food and then through and transitions. And I think that's where a lot of airlines who rely on fancy interior products get tripped up yeah. or and- don't pay attention. That seamlessness was absolutely fantastic. It was something that, of course, like we said earlier, you and me would probably prefer to do it on our own and not have a person that walks through security with us because you're like, come or goes shopping with us. But yeah. really, you know what? I, I felt, and I'll come to the rest in a minute, I felt I didn't have to think about anything because I knew that as soon as, for instance, we landed, what happened, somebody will pick me up, which happened, will take me to the lounge, which happened. You you, you forget about uh, what time do I board? What is the gate? Where I'm supposed to go? You just follow people. Do I want to have that in every flight? No, because I like to be in control. I like to have, we have, maybe we have our habits and it's maybe overkill for people like us maybe for a certain uh, segment of their customers is perfect but for me it's too much but in terms of seamlessness you're absolutely right it's stunning you feel you're in the product all throughout and remember they are in terminal three so not the terminal that they wish they be in they don't have their own lounge they can achieve something very close to a full brand experience without having their own product all throughout that's yeah. pretty impressive, actually. It is impressive, and it's very rare as well. Yeah, yeah. I was asking uh, Sandesh when I was walking with him through security and all these things. <laughs> I had to find topics and conversations. Uh, I said, "So, don't you are at uh, Terminal Four?" And then the first thing he says, "Smart man." He says, "Yeah, Middle Eastern is here." So I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. Okay, fine." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. apparently, they are wanting to go there. That's kind of the long-term plan to regroup. The thing is, we know uh, Ether is full. So they have to wait for someone at Terminal 4 to leave or for Terminal 4 to be expanded or because it's a whole slot problem. They cannot just decide to go there. So they are clearly waiting. And I think that's the reason they're not building their own lounge at Terminal 3 because I believe what they want in the long term or mid term is to be at Terminal 4 like everybody else and have this complete experience with their own lounge. Which makes sense. So remember, I said at the very beginning, I said, okay, I, I just want to get upgraded for that flight. And Sandesh told me something uh, as he was handing me over to the head of cabin uh, first class in the flight. He was telling me, I'll make sure to let our people know in Jakarta that they keep on treating you as first class, uh, although there's no first class in the second leg. Because, you know, for instance, when you fly Emirates and you upgrade yourself, let's say you do London, Dubai, Dubai, Tokyo. And because you have points, Alex, you say, oh, I want to, to sleep in the first flight. I'm going to upgrade myself and I do first to Dubai. And then right. in Dubai, you do business. You're not allowed in the first class lounge because nope. that's your second leg that matters. No, here... Somebody waited for me. She wants to take my... This time I resist. I said, no, come on, I'll, I'll just deal with my carry-on. Really, it's super light. Don't worry about it. So she walks me through transit, transfer uh, security. We go to the lounge and I have my own room again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there, you can see the airport, which I'll come at the end, is... Uh, that's a new terminal called Terminal 3. Actually, they call it Terminal 3U. U for ultimate. <laughs> Zurich at some point used to be called Zurich Unique Airport that's this bit of the overblown statements I don't think it's really good to use these kind of statements but it's really new it's really nice but I felt that I was in this VIP room and the lounge is very reminiscent to what uh, again we see at Emirates so the upper floor it, it overlook all the gates but I'm like 
this is a nice lounge, really, yeah. but this is not, this is where the experience kind of seemingly broke a little bit. That's interesting. On the way back, because now I understand, on the way back when I was only business class, I realized there is ready a first class lounge, but it's not open. It's right there. It was lit up, etc., but it's not open. So what they did, they put me in a private room in the business class lounge, which again, is totally great, right? I'm not ready. But that room was clearly a room that was usually made for, uh, for instance, people with disabilities or people with... Uh, one. There was no electrical plugs. The, the, uh-huh. the, the core, it was not, you know... Which again, really, guys, I'm not complaining. I'm saying I should have simply gotten to a normal seat in the lounge. That would have been better than being in this room. Of course, I enjoyed it on my own, but it's it, it was not necessary again. The person there, uh, Kaya, what she was called, was also amazing. I mean, she, you know, every time I I, I was stepping out of the room, said, "Do you need something?" So I'm like, oh, "No, I just don't worry. I just want to take a walk after two hours, yeah, before, yeah. <laughs> four hours before yeah. my flight." It I, does get a little tiring after a while, but <laughs> she was much younger, younger than us. And I think she got it. I thought, you know, I just want to walk around the terminal. I've never seen it. You know, I have two hours more. I'm going to be bored. She smiled at that way. She was able to read me that I didn't need like a chaperone all throughout. Then she goes with me to the gate for the flight to Seoul. And that's something I was not expected. I was still considered a first class passenger, although there's no first class in the second flight. So she was still doing the service. Not only that, because I also had told her I would love to uh, enter the flight early. We entered the gate, you know, the jet bridge, whilst another flight was still being boarded. A jet bridge and two gates, you know, and two... Uh... Oh, I see. Wow. So I was like, in terms of security, it was a bit strange. I'm like, okay, so I'm walking down with other people that are going to another flight, but just the because flight, I wanted yeah. to go early, she opened me the flight for me, and I was the first one to sit in uh, in business class. That was a 330, a 300. That's much older. Uh, two cabins, a big at the front and a small in the middle for business class. The small in the middle has 12 seats. I was alone. I sent you the picture. It was super amazing. Yeah. We're talking a seven-hour flight. These are like angled uh, lifeline seats. Yeah, yeah, no, anyway, uh, angled recline kind of. Yeah, so it's not live flat. Yeah, not not fully not fully flat, but angled. It's okay. I had already slept in the previous flight. Was a great flight as well. You can feel here that the crews are less used to international uh, customers. Uh, the food was. There was one thing I've taken on that flight, an Indonesian food that was, I think, the best I've ever eaten in my life in a plane ever. Wow. <laughs> one day we'll talk when we do food. We'll talk about that. So. Amazing experience as well. Of course, if I had only to fly these type of aircrafts, clearly then the product suffers in comparison to more modern uh, business class. And I land in Seoul in Xi'an, and there's another guy actually waiting for me and picking me up. <laughs> and then I'm like, this is not happening. And this this was admittedly useless because since Xi'an is very well laid out and very easy to navigate and very quick to basically clear, there was really no purpose of him because he walked me until immigration, which was literally a minute away from the exit gate. And then he says, I'm going to wait for you on the other side. Okay, so I clear immigration. He's waiting for me. We walk through the luggage belts and then we exit and that was it. I was like, the purpose of him... (laughs) I mean, then he says, do you, do, you, do you have a driver waiting for you? I'm like, no, no, I don't have a driver waiting for me. Right. But meaning that that was 
a bit useless to have someone again if but i understand if you have the full service first class service from an airline you want to have this like you correctly said all throughout yeah yeah but it was i that bit i was like i almost wanted to tell him you yeah, don't worry i don't need to i know exactly yeah, where immigration yeah. is and look this is just like like the one percent flies or something i don't know <laughs> pretty amazing though that's just incredible so I can understand why they're five star. There are some things that still, you know, don't work. Uh, we'll do the airport in a minute. So a few things that don't work. But for most of it, you can feel where they're going with it. And that is mm-hmm. clearly becoming a five star airline. But to our earlier point, is it better than Emirates? Probably not. <laughs> I, yeah. It actually reminds me, you know, this 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 mix of trying to be very good and having very good fares reminds me of Emirates when I started flying them in 2009-10, where they were younger, they were already kind of big Emirates at that time, but not as big as they are now. And they were really trying to show themselves to the world. And I was very reminiscent of that. I'm not saying that they are trying to say model as Emirates because clearly not. Simply because of location, they don't have that very central world location. But, well there was this kind of feeling that they were really trying to show their best face and it was not forced. It was really, really well done. And a very quick comment on the way back, I did everything in business class because, of course, when I I, I had a stopover this time in Jakarta, I stayed in Jakarta for 18 hours. My mistake, maybe a trick for you guys if you ever want to do something like that, I should have asked for the the first class upgrade because, of course, I want to try my luck a second time. I I should have asked it in Seoul because that was the start of my journey, even though it was 18 hours, because it considered 18 hours as a stopover, I would have probably gotten a deal because when I asked in Jakarta, they told me you're less than four hours. And then they said, okay, but we can try. This is going to be almost 2,000 pounds. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. No, I'm not going to do Yeah, that. no, forget yeah. it. <laughs> and business class was also fantastic. It was a great experience. The food was amazing. The crew was amazing. I slept like a baby. So meaning that it's not only because I had this out-of-world experience in front of the cabin that I, I appreciated Garuda. I think that at least because I've not flown economy, so I cannot judge, I think that in these two parts, it actually is solid. For the 777, I will encourage people to try it. For the, the other more local flights... Yeah, probably, you know, of course, a Singapore and a Cathay are still way better, but it's going there. So I encourage you guys to fly it. And if you have actually flown it, let us know uh, by yeah. messaging us if you have actually have all the maybe different experience than us, than me, because Alex has to do it still. Yeah, I can't wait to do it. <laughs> Let's do the airport. We have more news for next episode, which will be recorded before the end of this month. We promise you that. Uh, so Soe Karno Hata. I'm really sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Uh, I've only visited Terminal 3. Have you ever been, Alex, to that airport yourself? I have not. Have you ever been to Indonesia at all? No, nope, never. Oh. Uh, no, I've never been to Indonesia. Oh, but you knew the beer when I told you Bintang. Yes, yes, because you can get that in Borneo as well, where I have been. <laughs> I've never been to Borneo. Very good beer. I had that beer. But that was, by the way, the only alcoholic choice in uh, the lounge, because, again, it's a Muslim country. And I was like, "Is it will it be dry or not? The plane was not dry. The lounge was not dry, but you had to ask for it. And I think there was also wine. No champagne, though, which for me is a glaring omission. As you understood, guys, I like my champagne. I don't really drink champagne in any other capacity in my life. Only when I fly and I get to <laughs> get it, I just like it. Uh, I only visited Terminal 3, as I said, the ultimate terminal. Half of it 
is international, half of it is domestic. It's for Garuda, and they will onboard a few of the other Sky Team members there, like uh, Air France and KLM. Apparently, it's much better than the experience you have at the uh, two older terminals. The other terminals were shaped like two U's, reversed to each other. This one is like a very long, 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 long terminal, like all terminals are being done nowadays. You have to do like, you know, Southeast Asia, there's two security, you know, like the first to get into the terminal and then the actual security to get airside. So that's something that you have to pay attention to when you get there because traffic in Jakarta might be the worst traffic in the world. It's really, really, really bad. The experience is not complete, as I said. Why? It looks like the terminal is not finished. I think it's actually not finished. Only gates 5 to 10 are open on the international sites. It's only five gates. It's really small, actually. All the other gates are closed off. You can you cannot even see them. They put like a temporary wall to hide them. Right. The On the side of the domestic, which I just could see, you know, I couldn't get, of course, into. This is really busy because, again, Indonesia is a big country in the lot. This is really busy. The international side is way less busy, which is nice for us. But it feels like it's incomplete. So it's hard to make a judgment of how it will feel what it is actually complete. But it is a nice terminal. I just feel that it's like you said earlier, it feels that the seamlessness, it's like the, the Lufthansa um, livery. It still needs yep. to be thought out and analyzed. Yeah, it's yeah, not, exactly. It's not fully there. And I think they will get there because they're very proud of it. There's one thing very interesting outside. There's an actually sort of a sky train. And the sky train is really included in the layout of the airports. It's very easy to get to. It's like a like a monorail, if you want, Alex. Uh, and that's actually really well done compared to where I was recently in Manchester when you seem to, to have to, to walk 25 minutes just to reach yeah. the train station. Now, saying that it is not Singapore, it is not Hong Kong. Uh, this is not yet that kind of airport. It could be it. It's not there. You could feel that, for instance, you have these massive white walls. There's nothing on it. It feels like, okay, there should be a shop here or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So hard time for me to, to be judging. But the experience I had were both good. It's The layout is clear. Because maybe there's only five gates, it's actually super fast to clear the airport, which is great because then you know you'll have like 22 hours of traffic to to fight through to get to the city, which is, you know, it's the second, what is it? The second biggest metropolitan city in the world, if you count the metro after Tokyo, right? So it's we're talking about 25 million people to 30 million people. It's yeah. one of the densest cities on earth. Uh, we're talking about something clearly absolutely massive. It deserves a big airport. It's not there yet but i would recommend it i would say if you do a layover you'll probably have a, a good enough time i've not done the transition from international to domestic which i think most people will have to do because when people fly to indonesia they fly to bali because everybody is a, yeah. it's a digital nomad nowadays and they need to go to, to bali which and i'll end on that i think could be a way forward to to garuda and this airport it's super well-placed for Australia. Uh, when you look at the map, you do 14 hours, and then you have 
a relatively short flight compared to it and you are in a direct line in Australia whereas when you do Dubai when you do Singapore you slightly reroute so I think that could be a yeah. very good business model for, for Garuda if they push there there you yeah, go I, I, I never thought we would be having this conversation <laughs> frankly I'll fly them again yeah yeah because of the price again I could find I didn't take them but there was flights I needed to go to Bangkok business class again it's too long of course i know you can go for a shorter route but we're talking about the same price like a thousand two hundred for business class to bangkok what is that that uh, that's amazing isn't it yeah that's how emirates hooked me at the very beginning because i had fears that made no sense whatsoever and i got upgraded in first class and that's why yeah. i kept being with emirates i'm not saying that every airline can do it but man you know there's something to it March 8th. Are you flying in somewhere soon? In two weeks, two and a little bit weeks, uh, the whole family, we're going to Seoul. Oh, yeah. And Tokyo. So we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. Let's try to record before that. There's yeah, few, oh, I'm sure we will. There are a few things I want to say about, uh, about uh, Seoul because I've been there now. That is also because they just opened Terminal 2. So it's a very interesting uh, discussion we could have. Yes, I've been uh, looking into that. <laughs> and uh, as for me, it will probably also be just the same time as you or uh, Dubai for sure. Kuala Lumpur certainly, but not entirely sure yet. I'll probably know by tomorrow. So uh, we'll be talking about that and more. Sorry I was babbling away about Garuda. The signature beverage is the Ambarella juice. If you don't know what that is, well, there you go. You have to fly them. Oh, I'm very jealous. Now I have to. You set the bar very high. <laughs> Safe travels, guys. <laughs> 